47, most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Notice again that it's faith, it's belief in Jesus, not our works. The only work that we are to do, Jesus already told us what it is. Jesus said, this is the work of God. And what is it? That you believe in him whom he has sent. No flesh is going to glory in his presence based on what they've done. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. He who believes in me has everlasting life. We read this staggering statement with two main thoughts in mind. First, what it means to believe in the sense Jesus meant. That is, to trust in, rely on, and cling to. It is a trusting love. Second, we think of the astounding nature of this claim. No other prophet or holy man of the Bible ever said such a thing. Believe in me and find everlasting life. Jesus' death and resurrection did it all, and all that he is asking us is to believe in him, and he will give us everlasting life. Do you believe? Now here's Pastor Rob. I'm out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Are you wonderfully secure in Christ? Once you're in Christ, you are secure. Are you secure this morning? I pray that you all are. And if you're not, it's only, a, it's only a prayer away. You can be sure. You can have the assurance of salvation. That's what the Bible is all about. It teaches the assurance of salvation. Because what God does is, is right. What God does is good. Yes, I can mess it up, but God is greater than I am. He responds to my heart and my prayer. And sometimes my actions just don't add up. But God even forgives me for my actions when I confess them. And he says, son, I love you, and you're one of mine. Daughter, you're one of mine. And of all your faults and problems and things that you've done, even this very day, I forgive you. Will you confess your sin and come to me and receive everlasting life that you'll never thirst again? Will you do that? Will you? It's an act of the will. I have to engage with my will. It's not a um, some kind of... You know, intellectual assent. This is a real faith in God. You are secure. And he's lost none. He's lost none but the son of perdition. We know that. Peter told us in Acts chapter 1, it says, It is written, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. Speaking of Judas... Let his habitation be desolate, speaking of Judas... In Psalm 109, let his days be few and let another take his office. Speaking of Judas, Jesus in John 17 said that 
and I skipped right over it. He said, those to whom the Lord you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, speaking of Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. But once you are a Christ, you are secure and forever secure. I like that because God holds me and you in the palm of his hand. Nothing can take us out of it. You can try to jump out of it, but he can, he's got another hand, doesn't he? <laughs> in verse 40 it says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Who sees the Son and believes, and I will raise him up at the last day. This phrase, the last day, is not a 24-hour period. But in this context, it is rather a period of time when God will resurrect the just and the unjust to their reward or punishment, respectively. This phrase, the last day, is spoken of in this context that I'm speaking six times in the book of John and no other place in the Bible whatsoever. It speaks of the resurrection, which you and I both know. At the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise. We which are alive and remain will be caught up and be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That is part of the event of the last day. Also, those who will be resurrected to condemnation, those who will be given a resurrected body and spend an eternity in hell apart from God, they also, and this is, what Jesus is referring to in the last day. In fact, all the passages, all six of them, where this phrase is used in this context, speaks of the rapture or the resurrection of the just, except the very last one in John chapter 12, verse 48, where it says very plainly, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's speaking of that great white throne judgment that unbelievers will stand before and the books will be opened of all their deeds and they will be sentenced from there to outer darkness and the lake of fire. Do you think that pleases the Lord? It doesn't. It doesn't please him whatsoever. Verse 41, it says, The Jews then complained, About him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And I find this interesting because they've been looking for the Messiah. The Jews, they were waiting for their long-awaited Messiah for a long time, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. And now he has come and he's alive and in the flesh. Right before them, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt among them. There he is. And they reject him. They murmur because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven, which brings to their mind Exodus chapter 16. I would encourage you to read that in context of what we're looking at this morning. We looked at it last week, but it's when God provided the manna, that substance that they called, what's that? They came out of their tents one night and God said he was going to do it and he did it. And they came out and they looked and they said, what's that? And that's what the word means, manna, means what's that? What is it? And they used it. They ate it. God sustained them through the desert for 40 years on manna. They had manna cotti, manna burgers, manna pasta. It was manifold food. 
Verse 42 says this. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? See, Joseph was not Jesus' real father. He was just a caregiver. And they stumbled over this idea. They stumbled over this idea that Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. Again, fulfilling the scriptures. What does it say in Isaiah 7.14? You know this very well. The Lord himself will give you a sign, Ahaz. Behold, the, the virgin, notice. Not just a virgin, a definite article. The virgin, specifically Mary and only her. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, shall, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We see in other verses in Isaiah chapter 11 where it speaks of him coming through the line of Jesse, which is David's father. That David would come through Jesse, and certainly Jesus through the line of Judah would come through that. Is not this the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I've come down from heaven? Yes, he's making the claim very clearly that just as God provided manna in the wilderness, that he was providing his own son, that God himself would come and provide spiritual, everlasting life for his people. Not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile as well. You and I, I'm a Gentile. But Jesus had siblings, didn't he? He did, and this is a shock to the Roman Catholic Church. Not to be too hard on them, but notice in just one of these, it lists the names of Jesus' brothers. doesn't give the name of his sisters, but his brothers. In Matthew chapter 13, it says, They said, Is not this the carpenter's son? And is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joses, Simon, and Judas, or Judah, or Jude? And his sisters, plural, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And these other verses speak of those names again and tell us that Jesus had sisters and brothers. None of this immaculate, you know, the, the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. No, she was a virgin when she had Jesus conceived in her womb by the Spirit. But after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had other children. She needed a Savior. Joseph needed a Savior. The one that she bore was the one who saved her soul. The one who saves us all. According to what? Tradition? Something handed down through oral tradition? (laughs) No. Through the word of God. Through eyewitnesses. There's no greater witness than that. So, verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do you not murmur among yourselves? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will, notice again, I will raise him up at the last day. If you're a believer, you will be raised up. And the Lord is the one who draws us to Jesus. He is the one. Because if he didn't do it, I wouldn't have come to him. The Bible is so true. In Psalm 14, it says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any who understood, who seek God. And what is the response of God? They've all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none good, no, not one. Boy, that's just a blast to my (laughs) self-esteem. 
I thought I was something and now I'm nothing. No, it's good to be nothing. And let God be everything and let him build you up, right? So much for self-esteem. Don't fall into the, that nonsense. Amen? Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. Yes, thanks. I'm going to do that to make sure you're awake too. But in the prophet Hosea said this, God speaking of Israel, he says, I drew them with cords of love, with bonds of love, with bands of love. He's the one who draws us. He's the one who does it. Man in his own heart does not come to Christ. We are drawn. What did Jesus say that night in the, in the, in the uh, upper room? He told his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, the paraclete, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, guess what? For he dwells with you, para, he dwells with you, he comes alongside of us. Do you remember those days before you gave your heart to Christ that the, the, the Spirit of God was walking alongside of you? Perhaps you didn't notice it. Perhaps you weren't even cared or concerned about it. I remember the days when I, people were praying for me. There was a young man named David Rickards. And the Lord was walking alongside of me all that time, and I had no idea He walked alongside you until the day that you finally gave it up. I want to encourage you to give it up. <laughs> if you're not one of Christ, give it up. Give up your life and give it to him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. You must. You must be born again. It's not an option. It's not like you have a smorgasbord and you can just pick and choose. No. If you're going to spend, everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want to go through Christ. They want to live like hell and then somehow expect at the, you know, at the last judgment that they're going to be able to somehow appease God. Maybe give them a bribe or something. I can write you a $2 million check. I can write it off. i got a 501c3. And the Lord's going, you can keep your money. It'll perish with you. I want your heart. I want your life. Give your heart and your life to Christ. But he came alongside of us. And he drew us. He wooed us by the Spirit of God to a right relationship with him. And notice in verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. And therefore everyone, notice, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Notice, they learn and they hear what? Through the word of God. Not that anyone, verse 46, has seen the Father. No one has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. The Bible tells us that God is spirit. God the Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Exodus 33, verse 20, it says, But he said, You cannot see my face, God tells Moses, for no man can see me and live. No one can see God the Father and live in this flesh. That's why when God would pass by, Moses said, I want to see your glory, Lord. And he says, You can't see my glory. If you saw the face, if you saw even the beginning of my glory, Moses, you would die in an instant. But I'll do this for you. I'm going to stick you. I'm going to turn you. You're going to see the hinder parts of my glory. And I'll make sure that you don't die. He did the same thing with Elijah. He covered his eyes while God passed by and he saw the hinder parts of God's glory. We cannot stand in his presence and live in this flesh and see God. No one has seen God the Father and lived on this earth. That's why we need a new body. 
A new body that doesn't get sick. A new body that can withstand the brightness, the brightness of who God is. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, Paul says, God alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, for no man has seen or can see him. But we see Jesus. The word become flesh. We see him. There's a man in heaven right now that we could see. If he was to manifest himself here, we could see him. But we need a new body to see God the Father. We're going to need a whole new existence made up of completely different materials to withstand the brightness. I love that. I don't know about you, but I just, I get a little goofy when I think about that. Can I get an amen in the house? Yeah. We're going to stand before him. And I'm not going to disintegrate out of his brightness. Rather, I'm going to be hitting the dirt. (laughs) And I'm going to have my face prostrate on the ground. Be able to withstand the glory. Verse 47, most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Notice again that it's faith. It's belief in Jesus, not our works. The only work that we are to do, Jesus already told us what it is. Jesus said, this is the work of God. And what is it? That you believe in him whom he has sent. No flesh is going to glory in his presence based on what they've done. This is the work of God. Believe in him, the only begotten one, son of God, son of man. The wonderful, righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the only potentate, he alone. Verse 48 again, he says it again. He says it again, I am the bread of life. And with your, and your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. Notice he's comparing physical and spiritual. They ate the manna, the bread from heaven. They ate it and they died. But I'm giving you eternal life. I'm giving you eternal life. And this is the bread, verse 50, which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, Jesus says, he will live forever. And the bread which I give, I shall give as my flesh, which I shall give to the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They all knew that cannibalism and drinking blood was forbidden in the law. We know that's one of the reasons why God brought the Israelites out of Egypt to displace those seven nations in Canaan. Because of their pagan, idolatrous worship services, they did involve themselves in cannibalism. They did drink blood to pacify the gods or to, in their worship of their false gods. In Genesis, it tells us that every, everything that lives shall be food for you, God tells Adam. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is the blood. He goes on in Leviticus chapter 17. Whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off, literally have him executed from among his people, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I will give it to you, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood. No stranger who dwells among you shall eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any bird or animal 
that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust, for it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. I, I kind of feel, feel like I get the point. And so this is in the law. So when Jesus is sharing this very hard saying, they have a right to be a little concerned if they didn't really know him. And if they just stick around a little bit longer and, and listen to what he's saying, they will understand. He's not encouraging cannibalism. He's not encouraging them to do anything of that sort because he's going to tell us, and we're going to get there, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Verse 53, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Notice, this is a hard saying, knowing what you know, knowing what's in the word of God, and they, knowing very well what Moses had said in the law, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Oh my goodness. Everyone's starting to pick up stones. (laughs) Ah, but wait. But wait, there's more. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Are you abiding in Jesus? As the living Father sent me, and as I live, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live. Because of me, this is the bread which came down. Notice past tense, because Jesus is there before him. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So do you think that he's speaking in a very literal sense, or is he speaking in a spiritual sense? Now, I've already primed the pump. We already know that he is already speaking in spiritual, but they're thinking, they're listening to it. Just imagine this. When you reread this passage, think of the Jew, think of those other disciples other than the twelve. Even the twelve were some, somewhat confused, but they were hanging on there because they knew that there was something that Jesus was going to share. They knew him better than this, but the other disciples, they're like, get this guy out of our way. Yeah, he, was, he fed us and he did all these wonderful things, but you know, this is just too much. I just can't take it. I can't do this. This is just, I'm drawing the line in the sand. And you know, praise the Lord for that. <laughs> because the Lord drew his line of demarcation. He drew the line in the sand. And at this point, he was wildly popular. Any other man would have avoided this discourse. Any other man would have been a fool. His, his advisor to Jesus would say, you know, it's probably a better idea that you don't mention anything about people eating your flesh and drinking your blood. You'll have a lot more followers, Jesus. Trust me on this one. Do you think Jesus consulted anyone but his father? Do you think Jesus was worried that now he had all these people? Oh, everybody pass the hat. Let's get some money. Do you think he was concerned about all that? Do you think he was concerned about the number of people? Do you think he was thinking to himself, well, at least they're coming? No, he was interested. He was going to weed out that multitude, and there would be less people following him after this. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.